Welcome to Women Empower Active, an initiative started by UR Sportswear to empower women to find their own active adventure. I'm your host, Jacqueline Gross. Today, we are interviewing Brenna Anders, pronouns she, her. She is a runner, a climber, hiker, and just a general lover of outdoors. She is also an animal lover and works on a farm. She gets a little bit into that, which is really interesting. And also her goals uh, going into the next year or overall goals, not even just year-based. She has really cool way that she thinks about being active as a privilege. And I can really appreciate it as somebody who really has a lot of baggage of emotional baggage when it comes to running or being active to look at how you can really just appreciate and take a step back and say, okay, I get to do this. I don't have to do this. And it doesn't have to be a certain way, especially when you're kind of in the outdoors and you can't, your plan doesn't always work out the way that you think it does. She is just a calm and passionate person. Um, She's also an amazing artist who draws inspiration from the mountains and from animals. And I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. We can all use just a little bit more appreciation for our active lifestyle. It's kind of ideal that you're in your parents' house because I was going to start with like, how did you become active and was there somebody who inspired you are your parents active or like was there somebody else that you grew up around being active yeah uh so I would say that I grew up in a family of pretty active people or at least like outdoor enthusiasts so I think that's where a lot of my hobbies and interests come from uh my grandmother actually she grew up in Ireland And when she was in her 20s, she had seen pictures of Washington State and basically was like, I want to go there because she saw pictures of mountains and she was very inspired by what she saw. So she ended up moving out here and, of course, you know, got married, started her own family. Um, But she was really inspired, of course, by the mountains of Washington and wanted to figure out how to get into those And so she joined the Mountaineers. And at the time, she was one of very few women, of course, in the Mountaineers program. Um, But she did it with her husband, um, who was my grandfather, who I actually never met. He passed away before I was born. Um, But then they also got all of their their kids into it. Um, So my dad was always very interested in getting outside. That's something he really instilled in myself and my siblings as well. Um, You know, I wouldn't say that we took like a super active approach to being outside when I was younger. Um, It was more about, you know, road trips and camping and appreciating our surroundings and nature. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, you got to climb the tallest peak or you got to go on a super long run. We basically, you know, just did your basic like hikes and camping and backpacking as a family. And it was definitely more geared towards getting the kids outside versus like achieving big things, which I think helped me have an interest later because I didn't have like a sour taste in my mouth from a kid being like, Oh, I hiked so far. And um, so, you know, getting into my twenties, I really wanted to get outside more. And then that just naturally inspired being, being active in the outdoors too. Yeah. Did did you end up playing any organized sports growing up? You know, I, I didn't. Um, I, I did swimming. So, um, yeah. you know, I, a little bit of competitive sports, but never, um, like I wouldn't say, you know, like organized competitive sports. It was more um, swimming. I did some dance lessons, things like that. Um, and then I, I grew up in an area that, you know, is very close to the outdoors. We, I grew up on five acres, so just spent a lot of time outside there doing, you know, active kid things that are are just active by nature, you know, like riding my bike to see my friends and things like that. You've always been somebody who's just 
or you seem like to me at least in my perspective is that like you've just always you have like activity like as part of your life like just woven into it like how do you how did that happen I guess is is that just something that you need now do you think about it at all yeah it's I mean yeah I would say need is definitely a key word there um so you know again I didn't grow up necessarily like penciling in activity as like part of my daily schedule so it is like something that I've like taught myself over time um I would say starting in my 20s uh there was a time where I was in the Peace Corps and so I lived in Morocco and you know of course the culture is completely different I'm in a completely new community I don't know anybody so I I needed to create like a schedule for myself to kind of have a little bit of control since so many other things in my life at that time were not in my control. It's kind of when you're the Peace Corps, you're definitely like going with the flow. You're learning from a whole new community. And so I basically just I created this activity schedule for myself to kind of just create a little bit of that control that I could have like just for me. And so, um, you know, I, I had a bunch of just like workouts that I had downloaded onto my computer. Most of them were Jillian Michaels. So I like <laughs> do Jillian Michaels, uh, little workout routines in, in my house that I had. And, you know, I didn't have access to weights and stuff. So I like filled up water bottles with like sand or water and like, you know, definitely had to make do and get a little bit creative, um, and then I also started running at that time too, and um, basically worked with a number of people, a number of women in my community to to get others running with me. Just you know, safety in numbers. Um, I was in a place where it wouldn't necessarily be safe to just run by myself at any time of day. So um, I had a number of friends that. Um, I grew to know at that time and, and they had also expressed interest in being more active, but wanted to feel safe doing it. So, uh, we would go on big, like women's runs around town and stuff. And so that's kind of what, what got that side of things started in terms of just integrating activity into my lifestyle. Wow. That's so cool. I did no idea about the Peace Corps and that experience. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say that that experience definitely has shaped a number of things, you know, active and non-active for sure. Yeah. Cause it's like, you had to kind of make your own way. You had to like make that happen for yourself being active. You had to be like aggressive, intentional about that. Otherwise you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. do it, you know? So yes, it kind of makes you value that a lot more because you realize that it's like a gift, you know, you should appreciate yep. not something that you have to do every day. So yeah, amazing. And then how did you get into climbing? Yeah. So um, after the Peace Corps, I did some additional traveling and living abroad. So, you know, between the Peace Corps and that, I kind of was like in and out for about four years and then ended up getting a full-time job in Everett. And, you know, I was moving back to the area after being gone for some time. So I didn't really know anyone in the in the immediate area and really wanted to like find a community, find something new and active. And uh, the Summit Everett Climbing Gym had just opened at that time. And so I Seen, like their advertisement was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try, I'll try that out. Um, I had been there one time before when I was a kid, back when it was Cascade Craigs. And so, um, you know, I was like, that could be a fun, a fun way to maybe make new friends and maybe find a, an activity that I could enjoy. And, you know, obviously um, from there, I, I met um, a lot of my really close friends that I have now, I actually, I, I met my husband there. Um, so uh, you definitely say that I found that community that I was looking for, um, along with, you know, a sport and an activity that I'm really passionate about and really enjoy too. We all have stress or anxiety, but um, is it, is being active, is that something that helps you or is being on the farm or like, what is your... Uh, both. Yeah. I, um, I'm being around animals and not always being like 
at the sanctuary because you know I'm working so sometimes there's obviously like stress involved with that but like whenever I get like one-on-one time with the animals there Mm -hmm. that's like a huge stress reliever but like activity too um climbing in particular um rock climbing just because like when you're doing that especially outside you're so hyper focused on just like that singular moment Mm -hmm. um like you're not thinking about anything else. Like when I, when I run and stuff, um, yes, it's a stress reliever, but I also can start thinking about like, you know, that conversation I had earlier that day that maybe didn't go super well, or I, you know, whatever I might be like overthinking. Um, but when I'm climbing, like I'm only thinking about like, where's the next hold or how can I move my body to reach that over there? Um, so climbing has really, really helped with just like, getting rid of that, like overthinking and just living in the moment and focusing on what I'm doing at that specific time. Yeah. And you do trad too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And that too, it's like, you know, you're, you're so like involved (laughs) with, with like the rock, like you're, you're figuring out where to put your hands and your feet, but then you're also like, looking at every single like nook and cranny in the in the wall to like figure out like where your gear can go and yeah like there's that's all you can think about there's nothing no outside influences coming in um so yeah that's honestly I think that's why I really um really started loving climbing um obviously I I made friends through climbing too so that was a big part of it because it's like I want to hang out with my friends I'll, I'll you know we'll, we'll climb together yeah. um, so I think that was a really great community to start with um but yeah it's it's definitely a good stress reliever we need a climbing gym on Lopez it's uh <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I've been missing that yeah I should you guys should build one <laughs> <laughs> that's what we've been saying we're like okay are we gonna like start a gym here yeah. um one of these days it's on our list <laughs> That'd be very cool. Uh, yeah. Do you, I just I'm already, I'm just curious, but do you how do you manage like are you, do you get nervous when you're leading or stressed and like how do you deal with that? Because I I don't see that for you. Like I feel like you're just you know calm and and leading and I I try very hard to be, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I I do I do get nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't like it's it's hard to think of like like an exact like tip yeah but you know I I basically like I kind of tell myself like okay if I fall like nothing's gonna happen it'll be okay it'll I'll just like take a swing and the rope will catch me and you know it might be a, a longer fall than like if I'm on a top rope but like I, I'm fine it it will catch me so I think like being okay with falling has yeah. helped me not fall I guess <laughs> <laughs> or, or like help me get more confident in like yeah. reaching for like a higher hold that maybe I won't get to um but yeah and I like I feel like every single season because you know like this time of year we're not out climbing all the time right. um so like starting in the spring where I start getting out more I kind of have to like relearn that and like get Mm -hmm. into the right headspace again so like the first few times it's always super scary and I don't want to fall and you know but then I get that first fall over with and I'm like oh yeah like I'm not gonna die (laughs) if I I fall um you know obviously like it depends on the on the terrain too so like you know I'm not going out there telling everybody yeah yeah just fall it'll be fine but um yeah like being okay with falling I think is is the helpful part to it yeah like maybe take like if you're getting really stressed maybe take a fall to feel it and feel Mm -hmm. that your gear and then yeah yeah I think you're totally right about like if you're worrying about falling you're more likely to fall because your body positioning is probably not ideal or you're grabbing onto the rock so hard you're tiring your hands out you know like that's such a good point like if you're worrying about this, you're going to do it. So just, you know, yep. And it's hard. Yeah. Hard in the moment to, to think that way too, especially. Yeah. And, and it's so like, 
you know, counterintuitive, you know, mm -hmm. like we like we're designed to like survive <laughs> and like our survival instinct is like, uh, no, I don't want to fall. <laughs> Falling is bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, you really do have to get to a place where you're okay, at least falling a little bit, you know, again, like not saying like take humongous whippers that yeah. like, you know, you're going to crash against the rock or something like that. But um, yeah, kind of like know your limits too with like how far do you want to fall? Cause that can help you with designing like when, when you want to place gear and stuff. Um, so like I personally, like the way I do it is when I'm climbing like a trad route, I'll always try and like place things like a body length. So I'll measure like, you know, if, if there's a piece of gear at my feet, okay, now it's time to start looking for a place to put another piece of gear, you know, if it's possible with the terrain. Mm -hmm. um, so I always try and like, like measure myself because I know like, okay, like I'm five, three, five, four ish. So if I am like above my piece and I fall up there, that's like a 10 foot swing potentially. And, you know, maybe I don't really want to fall more than 10 feet because that, that might feel scary. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I kind of like, measure things out that way with like what I know I'm comfortable with um you know again it doesn't always work out that way because the rock is not always consistent yeah but, but I always try and do that do you prefer trad for that reason because you have like a little more control about like where you're going to place gear and things yeah um I think what I really like about trad is um you know I really love doing more of like the alpine routes and like going like like far removed or at least you know perceivably far removed um from like busy areas so I I like um feeling like I'm more like involved with the environment so like you know I'm having to read the rock and know like where gear can go and having control over that um I don't know I, I do really like sport climbing too though I it's hard to like say that like I definitively like one over the other because they they do different things for me like I like um you know when sport climbing I'm generally with like a bigger group of people and we're all kind of trying out different routes that are all kind of close in proximity to each other so it feels more like community-based but then if I'm trad climbing you know we're often like we've hiked out 15 miles to go mm -hmm. to this peak that we really want to summit and so that always feels like a big sense of accomplishment so it, yeah, kind of depends. Yeah. Um, they have pros and cons. Since we're kind of talking about different activities that people might not do necessarily, can you describe the difference between top rope trad and then alpine climbing? Oh yeah. Um, so top roping is what you specifically see in a gym generally. So the rope is already fixed. So you have your belayer who will help to belay you up the wall and you can set that up in an outside setting too. Somebody can climb up a route and fix a rope or potentially there might be a way to get to the top of a cliff by walking and set up a rope. Um, and then sport climbing is when there's already prefixed bolts in the wall. So if somebody is leading um, or doing that first set of a rope, they're using those to provide safety on their way up. So they'll clip into those with some quick draws. And then trad climbing is where there are no bolts already in the wall and you don't have the opportunity to set up a, a fixed rope for a top rope. So you're using gear that basically can constrict within a crack um, system in the rock and that's providing your safety. So uh, different gear that you might have for that would be like uh, a nut, which is basically just like a, a piece of metal that you can wedge in to a crack and use as protection. Or you might have something like a cam, which has like a like a camming like device or feature in it. So you can like constrict it and then release it within a crack and it will basically like plug itself within um the two two walls of the crack and and provide you with safety that way mm -hmm. 
Hopefully then, that was a good description. Yeah, no, was, <laughs> Google might do better than me. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. I can tell you, you, you run groups and things. Uh, no, the other one was Alpine. Cause actually I don't think I know. Hmm. Yeah. What that is. Yeah. So if I were to describe like a crag versus <laughs> Alpine climbing, so a crag is where you can drive up to a location and either there's a climbing wall right there by the parking lot, or, you know, you might have to walk in a little bit and there's like a few different, like close in proximity walls that you can climb on. Um, And normally all of those are single pitch, meaning, you know, they're not more than one rope length long and, and you're able to climb up and, and down Um, And, you know, there's generally like a few different um, climbs, again, like in proximity to each other. Alpine climbing um, is a little less accessible than crag climbing. So you would generally, you know, park, there's a a hike or maybe even a backpack into a um, mountain. So I would say that like alpine climbing, you're generally trying to reach a summit or you're in the backcountry on a, a wall that you have um, established knowledge of a route being there and alpine climbing is generally more than one pitch of climbing. So that's something that we would call a multi pitch. So there's transitions throughout the climb that allow you to take the rope longer than the established rope length all the way up to the top of wherever, wherever you're trying to get to. Yeah. So like, uh, I've seen people kind of go into the enchantments before with like climbing. Is that kind of like Alpine? That would be Alpine. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like going into the enchantments, there's a lot of stuff in the North Cascades. Um, there's, there's some stuff, you know, in, um, like, uh, Mount Rainier National Park. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's uh, in Washington, there's, there's a ton of Alpine climbing and, you know, each one of them looks a little different. Um, so like, you could call uh, Mount Olympus an alpine climb because there's there's a few different routes that you can take, but uh, one of the routes does require a rope and a small um, rock section to reach the summit. So that I would consider an alpine climb. Um, but then, you know, there's other much larger objectives like uh, Mount Stewart is um, a well-known alpine climb. Uh, there's a scramble route on one side, but on the other side, uh, there's a route that it's generally about estimated around 20 pitches. And so you have to take the rope up 20 pitches uh, to reach the summit. So yeah, there's a wide variety of stuff that you might find in, in Washington. Um, And what's also cool about alpine climbing is, you know, if, if you're comfortable in like the five, six, five, seven, um, range in terms of your climbing, um, and are comfortable, of course, with using trad gear. Honestly, most of the classic climbs in Washington are, are well within your, your skill set. So, you know, I, I would say alpine climbing, you can do really hard stuff, but it's not necessarily about doing like the 512 mega hard route. It's, it's more about like, the the endurance and you know basically like the adventure getting out there in the first place with all of that gear and everything Mm -hmm. and how long does that usually take I mean obviously a 20 pitch route would take a very long time time. yeah (laughs) but like on average like what would your day look like if you're gonna go alpine climbing um well for that route in particular on Mount Stewart that took us two full like nonstop days um so we did we did sleep midway up the route um and when I say like the two full days that also includes like the approach to the base of the climb and the deproach off of the summit um so yeah it can take a long time but then there's there's other alpine climbs that you could easily do in a day um Mount Ingalls is a great um alpine climb and you know that the hike in isn't that far you you know hike into to lake ingles which is a really popular hike mm-hmm. um so yeah it it really just depends on what your objectives are um and also like how proficient you are with the transitions you know when i first started um doing a transition between two pitches mm-hmm. took me a lot longer than it does now because 
you know, you just get more comfortable with transitioning the gear and flipping the rope and all of that. Did you know like where you're going to sleep when you're doing Mount Olympus? Oh, uh, Mount Stewart. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, so there's a few different like websites you can, and, um, apps that you can look at. So I, I read a lot of information on mountain project Mm -hmm. and a lot of people on there had said like, there's this, uh, notch area that has good spaces for sleeping. And so try your best to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's basically what we were aiming for is to get to this like notch section and yeah there was like some really good flat sections to lay out sleeping bags and gear and stuff what um what time of day was it when you got there um it it wasn't dark yet when we got there so it was probably and it was um in the summer so I would say that we probably got there at like seven Mm -hmm. and then you know we made dinner and like set up our sleeping area which was like not not prime or anything because we were you know we're we're carrying all of our gear while climbing so we didn't bring like sleeping mats we like laid out the rope (laughs) to like (laughs) sleep on that so um because you know we yeah going as light as we possibly can oh yeah for sure so one climb uh that Zach and I have really wanted to do Mm -hmm. is Mount Slessie it's in Canada, um, but it's it's another it's another big one, um, and yeah, we've been looking at that one for for quite some time. Um, it's interesting because there was like I don't know a long time ago there was a plane crash there, and and you know some of the um, pieces of the plane are still there. You still go by them on your approach and stuff, which is like I don't know eerie, but also interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've looked at that mountain for quite some time. Um, a lot of the other climbs that we want to do in Washington aren't necessarily like longer multi-pitch ones, but more just like, you know, kind of like big objectives. Um, like we really want to do Bonanza, uh, which is, you know, further, further East, but it's, um, the, the tallest non-glaciated or like non-volcanic mountain in Washington, um one of those um <laughs> so yeah there i there's i feel like the the more we do the more we're like oh, okay well now but now we've heard about this other place um so we kind of just like figure it out as we go to um because we hear about like another climb or something that sounds cool and we're like oh, okay well, i guess we'll go there um and you know we have a lot of friends that really like getting out um so you know oftentimes they might have a goal too and we're like oh yeah we'll we'll join you on that um which is fun yeah that's so cool that sounds really cool um no I just want to go climbing <laughs> I know yeah <laughs> you want to go climbing yeah <laughs> yeah uh so you you recently have renovated the um three fingers uh mountain outlook and it's part mm-hmm. of I believe it's part of three fingers friend it's like friends it's like a group yep Um, yep how did you get involved in that yeah um so my husband zach and i uh a number of years ago we were trying to find an activity that we could also do with our dogs and so much of our free time we spent climbing and you can't always take a dog you know up a cliff with you um at least not safely um so we were trying to find something that we could all do together as like you know our little family and we we decided to try and get to all of the standing fire lookouts in Washington state so you know we had already been to a couple and we were like oh there can't be that many and then we we looked it up and realized there was you know almost a hundred of them um but we were like well we're we're committed so we're doing this um so you know, we, we started mapping out where we wanted to go, all the ones that the dog could come along on, um, our strategy for getting to all of them. And of course, one of those lookouts is Three Fingers, which is um, here in Snohomish County and it can be seen from Everett. So of course, it's one of those mountains that like many people who live in the area 
often are, are looking at and dreaming about going to or have gone to and have really special memories of being there. Um, so that was one that was really exciting for us to visit. Um, and when we did go up there and visit, um, we realized that one side of the lookout, the shutters had blown off. You know, it gets they get some pretty harsh winters up there and, you know, it's a little cabin on top of a mountain. So it's it's delicate. And so we noticed that those uh, shutters had blown off. And then we had been talking on our way down, like, oh, man, like, what a, what a shame that that could cause some damage this winter. And and sure enough, um, a few weeks later, when the snow came in, someone posted on just, you know, some page online that um, they had flown by the lookout and one of the windows had blown completely open and the lookout was beginning to fill with snow. Um, and so when that happened, there was a group of people that kind of got together and were like, okay, well, we need to form a group or a committee to help to fix this, this problem and basically like adopt the lookout. Um, so that's where Friends of Freefingers was born. And we weren't, you know, part of that original initiation, but you know, we had seen those pictures and wanted to do something about it. So we are, we're kind of just reaching out to the people that we knew that might have some sort of contact for how we could get involved. And we were pointed towards this group and that's how, that's how we got involved And it. You know, it turns out that um, they were really excited to have, have us be part of it because we have that climbing knowledge. And that's really helpful. Of course, when you've got this little lookout that's perched on basically a pedestal, um, you need to have, um, a knowledge of rope management and some climbing techniques to do some of the repairs that were required. Um, so it was really fun that we, we, it was a way to basically give back to the community, give back to a place that we have enjoyed and utilized for our own purposes and also basically use our own skills and strengths to um, make it, make it a better place for others. Yeah, no, that's so cool. And like, it's obviously you kind of describe what it what it is like, you're gonna have some have to have some climbing skills, and hi have hiked something. Can you kind of describe how that happened? Like how you were able to bring these big materials up there? Yeah, yeah. Um, And you know, it, it's in a wilderness area. So you can't, unless you get it like, you know, approved by the forest service you can't just bring like a helicopter load of materials in so actually every single thing that uh was brought up there was brought up on foot by people and one thing that's really cool about the structure of how friends of three fingers did it is uh, we purchased all the materials and then we packaged it up as small as we could or like as individual boards or you know nails that were put into like a peanut butter jar so it was all contained mm -hmm. um and all of that was placed at the trailhead with signs on them that said, if you can, please bring this up to the lookout. And all of those materials, just by, you know, people that were visiting, people that were passing through, all of those materials made it up there just by like citizen support and citizen volunteerism. Um, so that was that was really cool to see that, yeah, we were able to to get up hundreds of pounds of materials just by asking hikers if they could do it for us. Um, so then all of that stuff was up there and we were able to go up and put it all together as needed and uh, use it to create new shutters and replace some of the broken window glass and paint the outside and, you know, all the other repairs that were needed. Yeah, that's so cool. I, yeah, it's just like such a cool community thing to, to put together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we found too, that like, even after stuff had all been brought up, people were reaching out and saying like, Hey, I really wanted to help with this, but there was nothing left at the trailhead. <laughs> so like, is there any other way that I can help? So like, you know, people just, it's one of those places where you go to and you just naturally feel inspired and you naturally feel like you're part of history or part of something special just because it is such a unique place. And I think, you know, even even when you just bring up an extra jug of paint up there, you know, having that connection to this historical building is something that's really special for people. 
And that really became apparent when we saw, you know, again, hundreds of pounds of stuff that made it up there just by asking. Yeah. It's like being active with a mission. <laughs> you know, like we have to do this for the good of yep. the <laughs> No, I love that so much. You are an advocate for animals. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Why that's important? Yeah. Um, you know, I think going back to just how I grew up um, with that, you know, that appreciation for nature and the environment, of course, animals go hand in hand with that. So I've always, I can't remember a time where I wasn't like an animal lover, animal person. Um, I think basically everyone that knows me knows, <laughs> knows that I'm a big animal person. Um, so that really, I, that started at a very young age. I you know, was always obsessed with my pets, my dog, Smokey, the cats that we had, um, that's kind of who I always gravitated to. If, you know, if my parents took me and my siblings to like a dinner party, it was, I was always like, Oh, people, but Oh, they have a cat. I'll go over, <laughs> over here in this corner. Um, so that's always been just a part of a part of my life. Um, I was also like definitely one of those kids that in addition to like enjoying being outside and wanting to be in nature, I wanted to like, know about all the things that I was seeing so I was definitely one of those kids where like if we had people over I'd be like you know identifying the different plants or like pointing out the the different animals that we saw and like naming what they were like oh that's that's a banana slug (laughs) don't get that confused with the leopard slug you know I was I was that kid so um you know I think I've always just had an interest in learning more about the natural environment or natural ecosystem around me um, and, you know, I just, I, I love Washington. So like learning more about um, the overall environment of Washington is, is really important. And of course that deeply connects to the animals that are here too. Yeah. What's the, what is the difference between a banana slug? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So the leopard slugs, I mean, you'll, you'll notice that they have like the really pretty like patterns, the markings on them. Mm-hmm. They are like similar in size and length to, to a banana slug, but the banana slugs are, um, you know, they're the, the kind of like greenish yellowy ones that you'll see around. Um, yeah, they're cute. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was one thing I noticed when I first moved to Washington is like the slugs are just huge. Uh, yeah, and they're, I mean, they're cool. I love slugs, but like, it's just like, they're so like as big as my hand. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, um, okay. So you had a goal of like looking at all or, uh, hiking up to all the fire lookouts of Washington. What are your goals kind of like going maybe into next year or, you know, what are your goals period? Yeah, well, that, that still is one of them. Um, so there's, there's 97 lookouts that we're trying to go to technically on the list of like registered standing lookouts, there's 93, but there's like four additional ones that are kind of like, pseudo lookouts that maybe aren't on the the registered list that we're also trying to get to but anyway 97 (laughs) and um we're at just above 60 right now so we still have you know a decent ways to go so we'll we'll be hitting a few of those um this next year um but in terms of other goals I mean I getting out in the mountains as much as possible this coming summer. Um, I do, I'm planning on trying ice climbing for the first time this next year. That's something that I haven't dipped my feet into yet, um, but am, am working towards that. So just, just want to try it out and just add it to, you know, my, my skills um, for climbing and things like that. Um, and then my husband and I are, are actually working on, building a house on Lopez Island. So that that's taking a lot of our time (laughs) right now, but that's definitely a big, a big goal of ours um, is, is finishing that, or at least, you know, getting towards finishing that. Cause of course it takes way longer than, than you ever would plan. (laughs) I didn't know you were building it. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a learning, a learning experience for sure. Um, My husband, does building for a living. So he has a lot of that knowledge base, but we are trying to build it 
completely off grid, which is not um, something he's done before. So we're learning all of that along the way, like, you know, how many solar panels do we need? How many batteries do we need to correspond with that? How do we manage our water runoff? How do, you know, there's so many things that like, when you just move in, like all those things are already thought of, you don't even really need to like consider it. you know, even like, even like our toilet is like, that's all of a sudden, like a huge topic of conversation yeah. <laughs> between, between us and like our friends, mm-hmm. um, which is not something I ever really expected, but it is when you're trying to to build something off grid. Is it like a compostable toilet? Is that right? Like, so yeah, um, there's, there's kind of two options for oh. off grid toilets. You could either do a composting toilet or you can um, go the electric route and get an incinerator toilet. Um, so an incinerator toilet basically just like has an element that heats to a really high temperature and basically turns everything into ash and mm-hmm. it you know compacts down really small. And you can add that to a compost pile or something like that. Um, so there's pros and cons to each. Obviously, like incinerator toilet requires a lot more power. You know, you'll you'll need a lot more solar power or whatever you're you're generating power from. And then a composting toilet is generally a bit more work because you have to, you know, churn it, you have to manage your compost system and you have to have a whole plan for that. So there's pros and cons to either, but, you know, they're both um, very environmentally friendly and uh, and effective and they work. Um, So we're trying to figure out, we have um, a comp or sorry, a incinerator toilet right now, but we're also going to be making an outhouse with a compost toilet to kind of figure out in the long run, like what works the best for us. Cool. No, that's a good idea. Just test yeah. to see. Yep. Um, how are, how is the house? Are you going to do like an A-frame or like what's the house going to look like? Um, It's, it's kind of, um, I like, I wouldn't really describe it as like a typical style. So oh. we actually do want to build like a fire lookout portion of it so but not you know not like on stilts like how some of them are built we'd actually have like a base that would have a room um underneath and then like the fire lookout part on top Mm -hmm. um in addition to you know like your typical garage and you know rest of that but um where we're at on Lopez Island um if you're on top of the hill you can kind of see the mountains and we're hoping that by like raising up the the level of the house will have a place where we can have a little bit of a view which would be really exciting yeah. um and you know when in discussing that we're like well of course we'll do a fire lookout because they have the best views so um <laughs> that's kind of where that idea came from so yeah yeah we, we kind of sound like nerds we're <laughs> like yeah we're like looking up some fire lookout plans trying to make it to scale <laughs> but you know, it is interesting, like once you um, kind of get involved with it and you learn about like the history of it and all these different models throughout um, the course of the history of when fire lookouts were really heavily used, especially in Washington, it is it is kind of interesting um, and fun to see like the evolution of that and how fire management has been done throughout the the years here. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's such a cool, unique idea, too. I mean, it's so so meaningful to you both, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and so I think that's super special. Um, and it'll also be cool when you, once you finish it, once you start going to all the other fire lookouts to <laughs> kind of compare, you're like, oh, I like how they did this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I like what they did with the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you're, you are an amazing artist and you're inspired by the outdoors. Um how did you start doing that? And then animals or mountains, which do you prefer most? Ooh. Um, so yeah, I've always, I've always loved doing art. Um, I think I started, well, I'm trying to think, I I'm pretty sure I started mostly drawing animals, especially cats. Um, when I was like in kindergarten, first grade, I was super into cats. And so like, I draw all my like rainbow kitties, you know, cause I was also inspired by Lisa Frank as, as many people of my generation were. Um, so I had all of my own personal Lisa Frank kitties. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably where a lot of my art started. Um, but you know, since then, again, it's been a lot of inspiration from the outdoors 
things that I see. I really like, I love being able to, to look at a landscape or an animal or a, a certain place and being able to capture that and put it on paper um, is, you know, something I'm really grateful to have the skill to do. And it certainly has been like, you know, a way for me to de-stress and just kind of focus on one task that like doesn't have any like outside influences other than what I'm actually looking at. Um, and it, like in terms of mountains or animals, which one do I prefer? I, I think it kind of, it depends. Like I, I, I go through seasons with my art. <laughs> um, and I also like do some style changes as, as many people who do art do, but you know, sometimes I'll just be like heavily focused. Like mountains are all I do. That's all I draw. And I'll do that for like a year. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm tired of that. And then, and then all I'll, I'll do is draw animals and then it'll flip flop. Um, it's kind of, kind of always been that way. It's hard for me to just like focus on one, one sort of topic or subject for, for a really long extended amount of time. Yeah. Um, I did want, I didn't include this in the questions, but I did want to ask you a little bit about your, your work. Um, I know oh, yeah. you work on a, a farm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I work for an organization called Posado Safe Haven and it's an animal sanctuary located in Monroe, Washington. So, you know, basically in our backyard and they rescue companion animals. So cats and dogs and farmed animals. So we've got pigs, chickens, goats, sheep, ducks, cows, um, all different types of farm animals. And all, all of the animals that are there have been rescued from either abuse, neglect, or abandonment. Um, and, and what I do there is I manage their education programs, and I also am involved in their advocacy and policy work. So I, I do a lot of just overall program management and design for the education side of things. So figuring out how to design curriculum for classrooms who might be coming out on field trips to the sanctuary or planning community events out there that are related to um, helping animals and learning about animals. Um, I work with a team to, of course, provide tours of the sanctuary and things like that. And then on the, the policy side of things, it's, it's basically figuring out like what, what are some of the loopholes or some of the shortcomings that we have specifically in Washington with our laws in terms of protecting animals and figuring out ways that we can adjust the laws, amend them, or add new ones that will make our communities safer, safer for the animals that we're serving. So um, it's kind of, you know, a broad, <laughs> a broad range of skills, which I mean, it does make it fun because every day is something a little bit different and, and different weeks. I might be focusing completely on policy work because it might be the middle of the legislative session. But then in the summer, I'll be like completely focused on doing things for kids because we're running our summer camps. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely like a really broad range of stuff. Um, and, you know, of course, it's all it's all related to helping animals, which, of course, is something that's that's important to me. So it's it's one of those jobs where um, it, it's easy to get really like sucked into it because it's, it's something that's really important to me and something I'm passionate about. Yeah, for sure. And because like when you were in the Peace Corps, it was pretty much all consuming. I'm sure you're kind of like, yep. Unfortunately, kind of doing the same thing, <laughs> you know, in that role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that's life of a nonprofit worker, yeah. really. <laughs> like, you know, if, if, if you're in nonprofits, it's like it that just automatically attracts people that are interested in a certain cause, whether that is helping people or whether that's becoming a social worker or working directly with kids, working with animals. You know, it it just automatically draws people that are passionate about those things and, you know, good and bad, because, of course, like that does get people that want to do so much and that could eventually lead to burnout if, you know, they aren't careful with that work-life balance. Um, but then it also can provide such a, a sense of accomplishment, too, when you're doing something that you're really passionate about. 
We always like to end our interviews with asking for words of empowerment for women who might want to like try something new or are maybe intimidated. Um, Hmm. So what would you, what would your words of empowerment be? You know, I, I would say that, and, and this goes for myself as well, but just don't compare yourself to, to others. And, you know, especially with today's like have heavy focus on social media, it's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at someone's social media feed or, or a fitness influencer and just think that like what they have or what they're doing is so unobtainable because it, they're doing so much, but you know, it's, they're only really sharing a fraction of what they're, what they're actually doing or what their life looks like. And it, so just, just try whatever you want to do. And I, you know, for me too, it also is all about surrounding yourself with the right people, encouraging people. And, and, you know, even if whatever you're trying doesn't go as well, if you're with the right people, it still is going to be fun and it still will be a good experience no matter what, the actual outcome is physically. So yeah, just don't compare and surround yourself with good people. Do you have anything that you wanted just to, to discuss that I didn't touch on? I, I would definitely, you know, give a healthy plug to Friends of Three Fingers. They don't have a website or anything, but they do have a Facebook page. And on that Facebook page, they've got you know, all the information about getting involved if somebody wants to volunteer or even donate. Um, so definitely a, a good plug to them. Yes. And then if anybody wants to check out your artwork, where where could they see that? Oh, um, so I do have an Etsy page. Um, it's currently not like up and running, but it still is like there so you can see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Etsy page is... Uh, the title is Roaming with Rowan. Uh, so that's, you know, Roaming with and then Rowan, my dog's name. So it's R-O-W-A-N. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You certainly did not have to. And I do appreciate it. I really think you're so like, it just seems such an easy thing for you to to live that lifestyle. And I really wanted to share that with other people, just that active lifestyle, like ingraining it in what you just do on on a normal daily basis without, I mean, I know there's some effort involved with planning and things, but like you've kind of just made it a priority for yourself. And I think that's truly important. And I wanted to share that. So I, I appreciate you sharing your story with everyone. So thank oh, you. Well, well, thank you. And yeah, I, I hope that for someone, at least it, yeah. it um, is helpful and, and provide some inspiration if, if that's even possible. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I, I definitely want to see other people enjoying the outdoors as much as I do and and feeling comfortable out there. You can follow me personally. That's at Jacqueline Gross, J-A-C-A-L-Y-N-G-R-O-S-S. I mostly take pictures of banana slugs. You can follow you are sportswear. That's the letter U, the letter R sportswear on all social platforms you can check out any of our products at youarsportswear.com. And if you're listening to this podcast and want to check out our videos, you can check out the You Are Sportswear's YouTube channel. This video and audio recording was produced by Jeremy Canaria and edited by me. Thank you so much for listening.